You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey guys, a quick note at the top of the podcast today. We had a little bit of a weirdness on the audio recording on my end. So if you hear me going a little bit in and out, my apologies. I tried to fix it as much as I possibly could, but we recorded for more than an hour. So I was not going to scrap the entire thing and make Eric record again. So hopefully you'll have some patience with us on this one occasion. And uh, I think it's pretty listenable still, but I keep that in mind throughout the podcast. All right, without any delay, here is the show. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 262 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening in our normal time slot, and joining me as often is Eric Cole to discuss all of the goings-on. And by the way, Eric, this is kind of your sweet spot because we get to, we get to talk about some of the kids on this podcast. That's, uh, that's, what, that's what you do. I do enjoy talking about the, the prospects and the young men on the Braves roster. Uh, obviously, a few of them are bigger favorites of mine than others. Uh, I'm sure they will, those people will come up. But uh, I'm glad to be talking about baseball. You know, it's been nice to have a little bit of a break, but, you know, it's been kind of also weird considering how, you know, into it we were for a while there. Yeah, we're diving back in. And, uh, you know, during this time, I'm always monitoring, you know, social media for the latest on free agency because free agency is happening right now. There's just not much that's happened. The only contract that I am aware of that I care about anyway that was signed is Robbie Ray, who was on my list initially of Braves guys. Um, but it's been a little bit quiet. I'm sure the dam will break at some point and the Braves will do something. But uh, for right now, not a ton happening on that front. We'll get into some free agency stuff later on. I do want to open up, though, by talking about there was some awards chatter, both official awards and also finalist stuff that happened this week. I don't have huge takeaways here, but the first one, Freddie Freeman's not an official MVP finalist. Zero surprise there. The announcement is going to be this week. It's on the 12th. Um, I think he should win. I think he will win. Uh, we've, we've been talking about this for a long time, so I, I have nothing new to add, but uh, that that's now happening, and uh, this is now the week to circle for everyone to say, look, Freddie might win the MVP. Yeah, uh, and I tend to agree. I think that not only is he have all the numbers that you want uh, out of an MVP candidate, if you're wanting to try to make a real run at it, but also that you know it seems like that the consensus among those who vote for such things that they that he is going to win it, which is you know again, really good sign. Um, I think that he's going to. It's going to be a. I don't think it's going to be particularly close, and that's not a knock on you know Machado or Betts or you know the other candidates that didn't finish in the top three. I just think that there's just kind of towards the end of the year there just became a kind of a general consensus that you know one of the one of the reasons that this Braves team was able to make the run that they did. Uh, in the regular season, despite losing, you know, 80% of the rotation, 100% of the rotation, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was because of the play of Freddie Freeman and just what he was able to do, again, despite some injuries, not only in the rotation, but in the lineup too. So 
you know, it's, he's gonna it's gonna be very deserving uh, if and when he wins it. Uh, I will I would be shocked if he didn't win it. Uh, and you know, well, hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge because I think he's I think he's got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we just get to talk about this next week on the podcast and just say, all right, Freddie won. Let's celebrate Freddie, and that'll be uh, as easy as it needs to be. But I, I agree with all of that. I think he's gonna win. It'll be a surprise if he doesn't. Um, you know, we can do that later on if he doesn't win. But the other thing that happened this week, awards-wise, well, I guess there are two more things. Uh, the Braves became the fourth team ever in the history of the Silver Slugger Award to have four guys win Silver Slugger. Uh, Freeman was a no-brainer, of course. Marcelo Zuna was a, was a no-brainer, of course, as well. Um, and then the Braves added two more that were at least somewhat up in the air, and that was Ronald Acuna and Travis Darno. So Acuna wins alongside Mookie Betts and Juan Soto. Those guys are obviously really good. You could have made the argument for Mike, Mike Ostremski, who actually probably had more cumulative offensive value than Ronald Acuna. But A, Ronald Acuna is much more famous than Mike, Mike Ostremski, with, with all respect. And he was better on a yeah. plate appearance yeah. basis. Um, so that's one where I don't have a huge problem. I, I'm sure the Giants fans were not thrilled about that one. But I think Ronnie, you know, as good as he was when he was healthy, it, it was fine. Yeah, and you know it, that we've had seen we have seen that with Silver Slugger awards too. That like maybe guys who don't have as many plate appearances as another guy, you know, people start looking at the counting stats and they're like, you know, he doesn't really have as many home runs, or you know, this guy has two hundred hits, or you know, think you know, dumb stuff like that. Um, I just don't have any problems with Ronnie getting the award. I was a little bit surprised just because of the amount of time he missed that I was like wondering, but. You know, I started looking at the other names, and I mean, like he didn't—he certainly didn't deserve it over Betts or Soto. No, uh, but th- both those guys were better. Uh, but if like as like you know, kind of like the like the third name on there, he was th- that was just fine to me. Uh, I think that if Ronnie had been healthy, uh, not only would he have been better when he was on the, on the field uh, towards the end of the season, but I mean, I think he would have like run away, and you know, he would have given Freeman a run for his money. So, you know, I I don't really have a big problem with it. No. Um, Really, any of the four guys that the Braves won. I mean, Freddie and Ozuna were like the, like, again, there's something wrong with the process if those guys don't win the awards there. But, <laughs> you know, the other, the, the other two, you know, like, I, I think that TDA was, you know, it was, I think it was close between him and Smith in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, but I, I will I say think... this. The, the Braves ran well on this one, I think, because Acuna was better on a per-plate appearance basis, like we just said, than Yastrzemski, but... If you flip that, Darno was not better than Will Smith on a purpose on a per play appearance basis, but he played a lot more than Will Smith did. So they sure. kind of got the best sure. of both worlds there. <laughs> not that it was either one was egregious, but uh, I think both Acuna and um, and Darno were deserving. Neither was a no brainer, and they won both. So you know, obviously, you know, in the grand scheme, who really cares that much about Silver Slugger? But because we're people that talk about baseball um we could have argued about it i'm sure and people i'm sure are arguing about it in some circles but the braves ran well on those two and they got all four and that's i think that's fitting the office was so good that it's it's kind of cool to have them individually recognized absolutely and i don't think dodgers fans have anything have much to worry about i think will smith's gonna have a few silver sluggers in his i think they're okay coming up. i think they're okay yeah, with the dodgers right now anyway because yeah. i mean i think it's fair to say that he's legitimately insane uh, <laughs> as a hitter behind the plate and you know Overall, like he'll, he's, he's going to be just fine. Um, you know, and then you have, you know, Real Muto lurking in the background, which is kind of a different thing altogether. But overall, I think that Will Smith is going to be in a good, is in a good spot going forward. Uh, and I was happy for TDA because, I mean, low-key, one of the better signings the Braves, what anyone made this past offseason was signing him and doing what he did not only in the, in the 
you know, regular season, but in the first part of the playoffs, especially too, you know, he just kind of like put the Braves on the on his back and just single handedly beat the Marlins. So, uh, it, it was good good to see it, to be sure. Yeah, he he was very good, and obviously uh, our next review podcast. We'll touch on the lineup, and we'll dive into all those guys even more. But uh, needless to say, the Travis Arnaud signing went very well in year one. Um, the last award is that Max Fried won the gold glove. He was the first Atlanta pitcher to win since Greg Maddox in 2005. Uh, Dansby, Dansby was also a finalist. He did not win. I had no issue with that. Um, he had some pretty good numbers, if, depending on which ones you trust the most. And gold glove is weird this year, but everyone seems to love Freed in terms of the uh, best fielding slash pickoff guy at pitcher yeah I guess that, 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 that's his number one thing i guess but uh he's good apparently yeah i mean a good fielder he's athletic on the mound too like you know all those on those Very. rollers to flip the balls first and covering yep. first he does a good job but like if if you're a pitcher and you want to win gold gloves just have a really good pickoff move uh preferably throw left-handed uh because you'll get more paid off on those uh pickoff moves but you know that's 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 his calling card you know we've Seen, you know, Julio Tehran was a little bit of a different animal because he wasn't lefty. He wasn't a lefty, but you know, free. He picks off a lot of guys and does a lot of work in kind of controlling the running game just single-handedly. So, you know, I I had to think about it for a bit because again, when we think of like Gold Glove pitchers, we think of guys like Maddox who were making plays all over the place, and you know, Max was legitimately great at doing that. Whereas in Freed's case, he's kind of like a a one skill that he has in particular, but it's really, really potent. And there's no one else that's like a pitcher that makes me in the, especially in the national league that makes me go, I, he, he deserves it. You know, there's guys that are maybe are, that are pretty adept with pickoff moves, but I think Freed's is the best and is certainly gotten the best results. And, you know, combine that with, you know, being a really athletic guy on the mound. And I mean, that, it, it makes sense to me. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine. I have no, I have no hot takes. He's good at that, and uh, hopefully he'll go just keep winning like Max used to win every year, and it'll be fun. Um, that's it for awards for now. Uh, our next little mini segment here. Uh, there is one bit of, I guess, semi news league wide. It's more of a report, but and it was honestly kind of buried. It was not reported in like massive headline style. But Buster Olney of ESPN, who is a reliable source to be sure, um, he called the universal DH, a quote, safe bet, end quote, for next season, with the caveat of, and I'm quoting again now, quote, unless the MLB and Players Union animus erupts to the point of complete dysfunction, end quote. So, Oh, good. That, yeah, could, no, that, that, that could there's happen. no chance of that happening. I was going to yeah, say, that, that could obviously happen, so that's worth noting. But I think there is this, uh, at, least the, at least anecdotally, what I've heard, maybe you've heard the same, um, fans or whatever, there's some skepticism that they're actually going to have the DH next year because because it's not official right now that people are assuming that maybe it won't happen. So this is a more pro DH report from a trustworthy source. Obviously the Braves and every team is keyed into this in some respect, but because the Braves had the best DH in baseball this year, and also a guy who's a free agent, they are probably monitoring it as much as any team in the league would be. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm on record as saying that they could sign Ozuna without the DH. And I, I will stand by that, but obviously it's a little bit easier to sign him if they have a DH and they know they have a DH. So that's something that they need to get, pretty much ironed out here quickly but provided they do that that's noteworthy i guess what what's your reaction to that report knowing that it's just one stray report and not one that he was like you know yelling from the rooftop um well i, I tend to i get i've kind of t- i took it for granted for a while that i just assumed that they were just going to keep it for 21 me too but you know yeah yeah but there was just that you know 
the the lack of an agreement is certainly weird, right? Like, you know, unless they're trying to make like big wholesale. I mean, free like, is happening wholesale. right now. Like, yeah, that, that's, like, that's the craziest thing like, about it. That, that, like right now, there are guys like you know Ozuna, and there's other guys who are DH types that you know they don't know if they can have negotiations with National League clubs right now. And that's kind of messed up. So I, I feel like if the league and the Players Association are wanting to kind of like use the DH as part of a larger package of negotiations, I'm not sure how well that works. Um, and I'm not sure what else is kind of in play for this next season because there is also the matter of, you know, does that mean that there are people, there are still discussions about how to proceed with like fans in the stadium and how to proceed with you know, with like health and safety protocols going into next year, are they trying to like kind of lump all this together that into like one form formal negotiation type thing? Because I think that that could take a while. And I think that the whole complete and total dysfunction thing becomes far more likely because <laughs> uh, if for no other reason, I have zero confidence in Rob Manfred to negotiate in good faith on just about anything. Um, uh, I, I would obviously echo that as someone who is uh, very vocally anti-Manfred. And y- your whole point there is a good one that they have to figure this out. But it's not like another sport where they're just like everything's on hold right now as as they negotiate. Free agency is happening. Like you can do whatever you want yeah. right now. They're not in a moratorium. They're not in this break. Like they can do whatever they want here. But it's just it is crazy to me that they have not decided on this. But I said this before, but as a reminder – Last year, they went through all the free agency without knowing about anything with the DH. Of course, that was pre-pandemic, so it was a little bit more, uh, uh, I guess, explainable. But this time around, they know some factors. They have not agreed on that. And there is at least some rumblings that I have read or heard from people that maybe there's a bargaining chip here as well. Like, maybe the league wants universal DH, but in addition, they might try to hold that over the players and try to get the expanded postseason again. That, that's yep. like a one v one that could happen, and I hate the expanded postseason with a fiery passion. So I would not be in favor of that. But at the same time, I want the DH. So bargaining, like w- welcome to the bargaining table, everybody. I mean, we're we're going to cover this whole the whole time. But this is one of those very interesting quirks in the middle of a pre CBA negotiation because they're not necessarily doing it for the future right now because they're not. Uh, it's not expiring right yeah, now. Yeah, it's literally this year. That's yeah, <laughs> and then next year it all resets, and they have to do a whole new CBA, which is even harder. So it's it's oh, this yeah, weird. Sure that's gonna go great. Yeah, it's this weird one year hiatus. That I guess they could come to an agreement for the whole thing, but that seems unlikely to me. I don't know. Well, no, they. I mean, they 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 could barely come together for a three month season, right? Like it almost didn't happen because NLB was trying to get the players' association to like waive their right to a grievance. Um, and you know, that was the whole where and when thing, right? Like, yep. you know, fine, we'll play, you know, we're, we're, we can't come to an agreement. You have to set a season and then, and they'll be like, well, no, we're actually not going to do that unless you waive your right to a grievance. And they were understandably raked over the coals for that. And we just, I just, again, I just don't have any faith at all that Rob Manfred is his primary goal is for a baseball season to happen in 2021. I just don't. You know what I mean? I I think that he would like very gladly, you know, hold the feet, hold the players association feet to the fire and like get as and extract as many concessions and, you know, not have to play as many games. Like he has, I think he has a set of owners that especially if there's going to be like limitations on fans that like would prefer just not to play games until 
like they could ever? have a full stadium again. Yeah. <laughs> just ever again. Yeah, they they they, they, they ever... just have an ass have an asset that sells jerseys and they don't necessarily have to pay any overhead for. Well, yeah, but I mean, basically there is the uh, the crowd of we don't want to operate unless we could do everything the way that you that is usually done. Which, yep, that includes full stadiums and things that are not possible at the moment. Even if you and I'm not going to do the whole COVID thing right now, but even if you are someone who is less concerned about COVID, we'll say you can, we can all agree that they're not going to sell out stadiums in in March. No. That's not going to happen. Um, no, it is not. Uh, unless something not crazy changes with the vaccine or something like that, they're not going to somehow yeah, like it. Like it. Like it gets released in January and like is yeah. widely available. I mean, like, I guess that is conceivable, but it's very unlikely. But regardless, uh, I would, yeah, don't put money on that one. Yeah, all I would say is it's very, 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 very likely that on opening day there could be fans in stadiums, but it's not going to be sellout crowds. Would be the way that I would put that. Um, and with that said, like that does affect the bottom line. Like we're, you know, we still speak for myself. I'm very skeptical of any number thrown out by ownership or the league. In this case, they just blatantly misrepresented at all times and they're trying to negotiate and I get all that, but um, we'll see what happens is all I'll say for now. We're in the, we're in the dark. There's not been any huge negotiation publicly anyway um, on anything right now. So when, when that happens, we'll talk about it. But uh, the DH is something that, is such a huge, you know, practical roster building concern that I think we all know it'd be easier if the teams knew and if the, and if the players knew. I mean, if Ozuna knew there was a DH, that helps his market tremendously. Um, a lot, yeah, like a whole a whole other set of teams that, especially a bunch of teams that weren't necessarily set up for a DH go into this season. I mean, like some people, were, some teams were just like rotating guys in and now there, and like the DH was not like a huge advantage for them. They just had to have another guy. You know what I mean? It was certainly well, because better because of than how late it was. You couldn't, you couldn't build yeah, your roster yeah, with exactly. a DH in mind. Like you just couldn't. Yep. The Braves got very lucky in that sense in that yep. A, they found out, I think, during spring training that, that, that Ozuna's defense was worse than they thought it was, number one. And then number two. By a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, I, I don't think they would have given Ozuna the contract they gave him if they knew his defense was so bad and they knew there wasn't going to be a DH, you know what I mean? Like they, they did get, they did give him that money sure. before the DH came in, but it was very clear within like two weeks of spring training that they were like, Oh man, he can't play defense. Like whoops. And then they got kind of bailed out by the fact that they, they had a DH and he was so good. Um, but now, you know, if you're a national league team without an assurance of a DH, could you sign Ozuna? Yeah, you could, but it's not as easy. Like if you you have to if if you're you try to game plan and try to put him out there in left field every day that's it's tough it's not a it's not completely un, undoable we've seen some terrible left fielders in my day you know Evan Gaddis played left field is always the example everyone uh, uses yeah absolutely hey just just shade Christian Pate over there well and, I mean we know. said this, I think during the playoffs we all said this on the podcast you know if there was ever an outfield that could handle Ozuna in left field it's probably Pache and center and Ronald Acuna in right so yep. Again, I, I've said it a hundred times. I would still consider signing Ozuna even without the DH. I will say it now. I'll say I, it already. I, I would too. I it would it might affect the overall number I'd want to give him. Yes, but maybe not by but maybe but not by a crazy amount. Well, right? and like, also maybe like I, there's an assumption that in the new CBA, which begins in 22, they're going to have DH universally. So if you give him a multi-year contract, which I think everyone's assuming he's going to get multi-year contract, maybe you can assume or come close to assuming that it's a one-year thing without a dh and then suddenly you get a, then suddenly you have him as a dh the, the following year so that that also comes into play yeah i mean i think that the i think it's 
everyone seems to agree that the, like that's the one thing in the new CBA that is uh, in terms of a big change seems to be like, a sure. that's just going to happen. Yeah, yes. that, like there's a lot of uh, you know the other rules changes. I think a lot of the other rules changes that were happened this year were really good for what it's worth. But they they just they end up playing a lot better. Like the like the the seven inning double headers, I'm, I'm in. You know, like you don't blow out like bullpens like that. It makes you know rainouts like far less like disastrous for a team that's especially on a getaway day and stuff like that. So I was again, I was all for it. Um, but that's the one that I think will happen, and. I don't think that the lack of a I think I don't think that a lack of a DH is going to impact whether the Braves are willing to go after Ozuna again. I do not think so. Yeah, um, I think it, it might. Does, like you it said, does, it, it does complicate though. Everything if they, if they go after Ozuna <laughs> and they're not sure, yeah. because if you're also considering maybe going after Michael Brantley, for example, or, or, or anybody, like, or anybody. I mean, you can't yeah. honestly. You cannot realistically pay. A starting level salary, you know, an eight figure or at least low, you know, high seven figure salary for an outfielder, if you have to play Marcelo Zuna in the outfield every day, because there's not right. anywhere to put that guy. I mean, I, I guess if you didn't want to play Pache or whatever, but you still have Adam Duvall, you still have Pache. Obviously, Acuna is going to be in a spot every day. You know, it does for planning purposes. You kind of need to know, and it's it's tough. Um, we'll do more of that next time on the lineup stuff, but I wanted to make sure we brought it up. And your bridge there was a good one, Eric, because. There were some projections that came out. Granted, these are all guesses, but ESPN released their projections for free agency. Um, MLB Trade Rumors re- released theirs as well. ESPNs were just numbers. They were not teams and numbers. It was just contracts. And then MLBTR does their annual top 50 with projected teams. And again, they'll tell you they're guessing. At least they're maybe educated guessing, but they're definitely guessing. I'm going to read a couple of these to you now and see what your response is, Eric. ESPN, of the guys who are on the Braves only... Projected Ozuna to get three years and sixty million. Mark Melanson one year and four million, and then all three of Shane Green, Cole Hamels, and Tyler Flowers one year, three million. So those are there. Now, trade rumors again attaches teams, but they have Ozuna as a top five free agent. By the way, four years, seventy-two million from the Nationals. Which Braves fans freaked out about when I when I when I said that on Twitter. Yeah, no no one liked that. Uh, Mark Melanson is the other top fifty guy. Um, one year, four million from the Braves, but they also went outside the organization and projected Michael Brantley, who you just mentioned, two years, twenty eight million to the Braves, and also John Lester, one year, five million to the Braves. So we'll stop here because Mark Bowman put out a projection as well that we'll touch on in a second, but. Anything strike you as like either strange or noteworthy or bold or anything like that out of what I just read? So I think the 18 to 20 million a year range for Ozuna is probably right. Like it's pretty close. And that's pretty much where that's, and that's where the, that's where the, the MLB trade rumors and the, the, the ESPN projections yep. kind of fall. Uh, that, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I don't think that that's crazy to me. I think he would get more money if, you know, there wasn't a lot of uncertainty next year. But, you know, in terms of all the uncertainty next year, like, I still think he get, ends up getting that much just because he was so good. Um, I would sign Mark Melanson for $4 million next year without blinking an eye. Oh, automatically. Um, Agreed. Yeah, like, like you know, just bring him back. You know, he, he was really, really good. And that for that amount, that's that's perfect. I, I Again... My feeling on Melanson was I don't think he was worth all the money that he was getting paid, but that's not why the Braves got him. You know, they were taking on a contract that was less than desirable when they traded for him. But 
you know, he filled a role that they needed and it kind of worked out. Right. But for $4 million, not, I don't even blink. Just bring him back. That'd be perfect. Um, I don't, I think Shane Green's going to want more than $3 million next year. And I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't particularly care if Cole Mills wants $3 million or not. I don't, I'm just not interested. I don't know if he's even going to be able to play next year. Well, uh, it's it's actually funny. And we'll probably get on this in a second as well. when we get to rotation, I think your opinion there is the one that I think 90% of Braves fans will share. And part of that is frustration from this year. And I, I totally get that. Well, no, it's, it's partially frustration, but it's partial. I mean, like for $3 million, like that, there's not, there's not a really a bad one year, $3 million contract. That, that's right? what I was about to say. But, like, I, I think if you told me, yeah, granted, this is not, this is not a vacuum, but if you told me the Braves could get Cole Hamels and they, thought you know because obviously you're not signing a guy that you think is broken you're signing him thinking that you can maybe get something out of him if if Cole Hamels is one year three million dollars and your trainers sign off on it I I think I would probably do that and Braves fans will be mad if they sign Cole Hamels but Cole Hamels I guess my thing is is that if he has spent all this time rehabbing and then came back and then still had nothing you know, like his shoulders didn't have anything. Oh, he might he I might be, be done, and I think they probably would know that more than anybody else would. The Braves right. probably have the best info on him, which is honestly part of the reason why I'm saying that, is that if the Braves signed him with the best info possible on him, I would kind of trust that. I'm not telling you that it's going to be a slam dunk, but if the Braves came out and said, and just announced in typical Anthopolis fashion, we've signed Cole Hamels for one year, I would be like, okay, I think I kind of buy it because they've been looking at him for a year. You know what I mean? I'm not telling you that they 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 shouldn't give him a lot of yeah, money. I mean, again, if he if he's like that that's that that amount of money for that player, like if that happened, it's fine, right? Yes. But I'm not. I, I am color me skeptical that you don't have to be excited at all. I promise you. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not. I'm. There, it's that 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 is a like minor league deal type thing. You know what I mean? Like that. I just don't care. I just don't have much confidence that Hamels has anything left. Yeah, you like, think uh, it's kind of the same thing as Lester. Honestly, I mean, Lester pitched this year, but Lester was very bad. And when that right. when that came up and he was projected, I said this, and I guess I'll just say it again now. We talked about this before we started recording, but Lester's in this group of guys where I'd be okay if the Braves sign him, but if they sign him, I also would want the Braves to sign someone else, if that makes sense. I think, and we'll touch on the, uh, on the rotation a lot in the second half of this podcast, but you have five guys. They're all young. Um, I am firmly of the mind that you need more in the rotation, um, and I think – Certain guys that are a little bit on the higher level, you could you could convince me that maybe the, if the Braves sign one of them, it's fine. If it's John Lester or if it's Adam Wainwright, who we discussed last week on the podcast, you probably need two of those guys. Is the way that I'm looking at this. And John Lester is not. Yeah, if you want to sign, good. If, if you want to sign both of those guys, that makes then, more sense. You know, and then bring Hamels into camp. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, that, body, it's all about bodies. I mean, people are gonna. I, I've already seen. I'm sure you've already seen this as well. But there are so, there are some people that I've seen who don't think that starting pitching is a need because of the young guys and what they were able to do in the playoffs. And I just would not that's, agree with that. That's adorable. That's adorable. That's adorable but yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I think. I mean, honestly, yes, there is, there is a possible world in which um, Freed, Soroka, Anderson, Wright, and Wilson are all rocking and ready to go next year, and that's great. If that happens, awesome. But I think this year was all we needed to see to know that a lot can go wrong in the rotation. So even if they signed – you know, not not Bauer, but even if they sign like Marcus Stroman or someone like that, I probably still want them to sign another guy for like two million, three million dollars, just to have another arm. Because why wouldn't you? Yeah, um, I think that 
you know, my thing is, is that to start the season, there's so much uncertainty there because like even some of the arms that I really like, like Kyle Muller, Tucker Davidson, guys like that, like they're going to need some game action to kind of like, we want to see if they're ready combined with what's going on with Wright, uh, which is very up and down at best. Um, I understand how good Bryce Wilson was in the, you know, the division series and in even in clutching the division too, that, you know, people are like are really high on him and, you know, I'm very happy for him. But when you have those kind of guys that have had kind of up and down careers, combined with the fact that you don't know if Mike Soroka is going to be ready to go like full innings on opening day, I, I think it's silly to not like try to, you know, like have some backup plans in place, you know, and that ones that are not, you know, Robbie Erlin, right? <laughs> like, Shout out to Robbie Erlin. I mean, I mean, I mean, like, like, yeah, that 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 was a plan that was put in place, uh, and he was claimed off waivers, but obviously that didn't work out great. So, you know, maybe we should have a little bit of a better plan, um, and maybe you know, older free agent starters is a is going to be a market inefficiency this off season that is worth exploring. Yeah, um, I mean, and I think we'll for see. this particular team, and for this particular team, you know, that maybe that that works out best because you know it could I could see a world where like by the end of the season, like whatever, like a couple of these older guys that they could sign like a Wainwright or a Lester or you know even if they brought back Hamels or something, like I could see those guys not being in the rotation anymore because they got supplanted by a young guy. But until we kind of know what's going to be going on in the minor leagues, we can't really make that assumption. Uh, you just need and more. Go arms. ahead and put me. Yeah, go ahead and put me down as endorsing Michael Brantley at two and twenty and two at two years at twenty eight million dollars. He's criminally underrated again somehow. He's yeah, like he's, been great for he's been great for the Astros and getting him for fourteen million dollars a year for two years would be fantastic. If for no other reason that that means that I feel like that would cement the fact that I would not have to see Nick Markakis patrolling in the outfield anymore. But I well, yeah, you know. I mean Brantley's a guy that we discussed multiple times in multiple off seasons for this team. Yeah. We all like Brantley. I know Scott does as well. Um, yeah, two for twenty-eight. It's a great, a great contract. He's a little bit older than you might like, but for two years, that's fine. He just rolls out of bed and hits. Like he's been a good hitter basically forever. Um, and yeah, I think that's a move that you only make if you either know that Ozuna is leaving or you know that you have a DH, one of the two. Because again, yeah, that's 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 the problem. With it. That's what you get into there. Like you either have to know one one of those things. You either have to know DH is coming, or you have to basically decide that Azuna is gone or he's already gone for you to go in as expensive a direction as Michael Brantley. Um, you still might want another outfielder, even if you have Ozuna on the roster, but Brantley's on that tier above that or two tiers above that where he's really only an option if he's going to start most of the time. He's he's good, um, like capital G good. So, but yeah, I agree. Good value there if they can get him. Okay, Eric, uh, let's take a break real quick. We'll come back with a uh, quick discussion on, on Mark Bowman's roster projections way too early, and then we'll dive into the starting rotation from this year and look ahead a little bit. So hold on tight. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric, before we get to the rotation... 
Uh, Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, did a roster projection. I'm sure he was asked to do one because it's uh, always inspiring clicks this time of year. And it's really impossible to even do this, so I'll, I'll give that caveat now. Trying to project the rota- project the entire roster right now before free agency is like impossible. But what he did was he projected them to re-sign Marcelo Zuna. No, no number given, but he's on the roster. Tyler Flowers, also on the roster. Darren O'Day, on the roster. Josh Tomlin, on the roster. And he did mention Jock Peterson as an option, but only if Ozuna is not on the team. So he didn't project Jock Peterson, but uh, there you go on that. He also projected Riley and Camargo still at third, with the only uh, infield signing or acquisition being Freddie Galvis, which I thought was pretty interesting, uh, sort of a you know utility-ish guy. And then the uh, sort of default signing and rotation was John Lester, who we already discussed. He did mention Mike Miner, old friend Mike Miner, as another option in there somewhere. Again, none of this is surprising to me. I, pe- I, I saw people getting mad about Flowers and Tomlin and O'Day, and like I, I don't care. Um, if they're cheap, it's fine. Uh, did you have any hot takes on, on Mark's projection? Because I, I don't really have any. I mean, it's like not ideal, and that roster, if, especially if you assume ODH, does not look great, honestly. But it's still a good team. It's just not necessarily better than the team this year. But you can't expect that to be crazy until you see them spend money it's like hard to project them to just massively upgrade anywhere so retaining ozuna i think is certainly a high priority um like flowers like the projection of like one like of three million dollars for him i think part of the problem is like i think that the with, especially when they have darno under under contract and they have both Contreras and Langleyers just kind of hanging around and Contreras looks pretty ready um I, I don't know if that they want to be spending like three million dollars on a backup catcher. They they just they, 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 I, I, they just I, I, seem to I, value I, him, you know. That, well, and there's not there's nothing he he definitely has value, right? But everything about Tyler Flowers is in decline, including like his vault his vaunted like framing skills, right? So if that's the case, then maybe it's just time to move on, or like you know move it like again move him into a cold uh, a catcher's a coach's role. Uh, maybe he turns into a catching coach. I, I have nothing against Flowers. But he looks old, right? And he like his bat is slow. Everything about his like his numbers offensively and defensively are getting worse and worse. And you know, does that mean he's st- he's still a valuable backup catcher? hundred percent, he's still a valuable one. But I'm not sure like if it's better to have him on the roster than a William Contreras who is as good or better than him at most of the things that he does right now. But that's that's a that's such a, that's a minor quibble, right? Like if they keep bringing back Flowers. Uh, I assume it's not going to be for any like amount of money that's going to really make me mad or anything. Uh, O'Day or Tomlin, I can kind of take or leave. Uh, I again, I really liked Tomlin and O'Day in some respects, but again, they kind of it felt like that they kind of turned back into pumpkins a bit um, as the postseason wore on too. And you know, Tomlin, you know, the, having like a kind of long guy, maybe that's where you want to put some some of these younger guys uh, that you have in the organization and O'Day. You know, he wasn't a guy that you really could trust in a lot of situations, uh, particularly against lefties. It was really, really sketchy, and he's not a guy that's helped by this three batter minimum rule. You know, Jack Peterson, if you know if that's the DH that you feel like you need to go for, if Ozuna walks, uh, I'd be pretty sad because I like Jock Peterson, but he's not anywhere close to Ozuna. Um, I have no interest in Freddie Galvis whatsoever. I just don't think much from much of a player. That was just kind of uh, a funny actually, one to me because it was like yeah. a, ra- a random, like, really league, random league yeah. minimum uh, utility guy. And it's like, okay, that's a name for sure. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, this stuff it doesn't matter. And again, I'm I'm pretty confident I, knowing how the how the game works that someone just asked Mark to do a projection and he's not doing anything terribly I, seriously here. <laughs> it's just I, I, well, yeah, yeah. Here, like, here are some names. Here are some names that are outside the organization. Uh, you may have heard of them. So yeah, I, I yeah. get that. And this isn't a knock on Mark at all. No. Nope. Um, but I because I mean of all the people that I think are going to be the most reasonable regarding this sort of thing, I think it's going to be Mark. Uh, and I think he'd be the first person to tell you that you should not pay attention to his projections. Well, I think it's also <laughs> indicative know? a little bit. I mean, not to put too much credence in it either, but I think the names that they that he's projecting them to re-sign could be out of some intel that they might want to bring those guys back for the minimum or whatever. Cer certainly more likely than other beat reporters out there. That, right? That's what I or mean. Like, you know, that's what I mean about, honestly, like the flowers thing we can not litigate now, but it's, it should not surprise anyone if they sign flowers. That's my overall takeaway. Correct. And that Correct. like people got mad, like, really, mad, really mad at Scott a couple weeks ago for talking about this. Like, look, whether you want him back or not, it shouldn't surprise anybody if they do that. Uh, same with O'Day. I know they declined the option, but if they can get him back a little bit cheaper, they might want to do that, et cetera. So just don't make too much out of it. I just wanted to make note of it because it existed. People were asking yep. us about it, and there you go. I do want to say, and he, he did. It, this wasn't mentioned in book because we're not kind of in that non-tender discussion yet, and I'm sure that they haven't really made all those decisions or even like talked to Bowman or other guys about those potential decisions yet, but Camargo's a guy I'd be looking at. Yeah, and I mean I the money will be interesting crazy. there. Honestly, I mean he's, he's not he, a he's gonna he's he's not crazy cheap anymore. Like right. he's still pretty cheap, and like nothing about his numbers is encouraging. I, I think, had to do the write up for yeah. I had to do the write up I, on him, and every and everything's getting significantly worse. No, the, the only I agree with you. By the way, you know I'm I'm famously not the biggest fan. Um, I I think this is gonna sound very narrative based, especially for our podcast. I think the playoffs might have helped him a little because he looked pretty good. Uh, no, <laughs> it looks pretty so. good. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm not, I'm not saying like he's role wise. I'm saying tender or non tender. The fact that they were willing to put him on the roster, the fact that he played and didn't look terrible. And given that he is, I know he's not as cheap as he used to be, but he's not going to be terribly expensive. The fact. Okay. Hold on. No, hold on a second. The only reason that he was on the playoff roster is because Adam Duvall got hurt. I, I agree, but they also could have gone in another direction. They, did, they didn't have to go to Camargo. Who, we, who, we talked about this what, a lot. What, what were the options to replace Adam Duvall on the playoff roster that would have made you – I mean, look, if they went in like uh, some guy that like – like if Scott Schlepper came out of nowhere and like made his season debut – Well, okay, okay. Playoffs. It wasn't necessarily the roster that I'm saying. I'm, they chose to start him in multiple games, Eric. He played a lot in the playoffs. Like they didn't have, they didn't have to do that. They they put Riley in the outfield, they chose to do that. Yeah, but in some of those situations, those were like matchup. Those were those it were certainly was matchup. I'm not saying that. They, yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to take too much out of it. I'm just saying, somewhere in there, they trusted him enough to start him willingly in the playoffs, and and that may not mean anything. I'm just saying it might be like a two percent adjustment on whether he's back on the team or not. Because I'm with you, like I would seriously that, consider tendering him or not. That, that that is a serious decision. It is not a no-brainer to tender him, in my view. I'm I'm only and I'm just saying if we had this discussion, and he never came back on the playoff roster and was just gone from September on when it, when he left, it's a little bit different of a discussion. I'd almost be assuming that he wasn't back. And now, 
I'm kind of assuming that he is back, but not like all the way. You know what I mean? It's kind of a toss up. They seem to like him more than we do in general, but it's just interesting well, to see, me. I don't, that, even, I don't know. I mean, like other than the playoffs, I don't agree with that at all. Like he's had like, like he's had his like playing time, like snatched from him two straight years now. Well, yeah. He's been objectively bad. He should, you know? like, honestly, he's not, now, he's not no, earned, I, he's not earned a roster spot with the way that he's played the last two seasons. Like we've, we said that, I think everyone knows listening to this podcast. We don't think he's been very good because he just hasn't been very good. And I would certainly, if they don't sign over someone, if they don't acquire a third baseman, the opening day third baseman is Austin Riley. It's not like a plute. It shouldn't be a platoon. You should not think of it as a platoon anymore. It's it's Riley unless they sign someone or trade for someone better than Riley. But there is that whole thing of like, you know, income and advantage. We'll see what they do in terms of tendering well, him. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, it's, easy, I mean, it's easier to tender a guy knowing that it's cost controlled. He's like, a... He's a bench bat, yeah. He's <laughs> like a, he's, a, he's he, he can play multiple positions. The switch hitter thing, like, I'm not high on him. I'm really never been high on him, even when he was having a break his breakout. But I don't know. I think I would probably guess he's on the team. And I will say, if the Braves think that he could be like half the player that he was a couple of years ago, like his arbitration number is the no brainer. And like, yeah, he he's not going to be expensive. But he's just he's been so bad. Agreed. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like he he like made significant regression this year over a terrible 2019 season. For oh, no, he's and honestly, like, I, I've never, I mean, you know this, I've never bought the bat. I, I've never ever bought the bat. I know he had, he had one season where he was legitimately good and he can't take that away from him. But if you look at his minor league sample, like he, he's never, he really, he's hit one, he's hit for one season in his career. Like he's, that's the outlier. If you look at his, if you look at his profile all the way back to the minors, the outlier is the good season. At the plate, he's not yeah. been a good hitter I mean, at any other time. You know, I didn't. I, I he certainly was. I don't think he was as good as his twenty eight season. I just didn't think he was going to be this bad. But oh wow, he's been really bad. So yeah, it's bad. And I I think that's a decision. But again, like when we're talking about bench bats and stuff, especially a guy that's a kind of a utility guy. Yeah, the impact I mean, of that is not huge. For no, sure. it's not. Um, okay, let's get to the let's get to the rotation real quick. Um, okay. So we all know this, but the rotation was terrible this year. Max Reed aside, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to him in a second. But on the whole, the Braves were 26th in the major league. So, you know, fifth worst in starting pitcher war on fan graphs. They were only worth 2.0 fan graphs war total. And that includes Max Fried, who was by himself worth 1.5. That tells you all you need to know about that. Um, they were 28th, so third worst in innings pitched from starters. They were 28th, third worst. An ERA, an ERA, again, that includes Max Freed, a 5.51. It is extremely difficult, Eric, to go 35 and 25, even in a shortened season, with those numbers from your rotation. We've all said this a million times, but it's kind of incredible that the Braves were as good as they were with the rotation. I should have done the math on this if you took out Freed, which you can't necessarily do, but just know this. Max Freed through, you know, 11 starts with a 2.25 ERA. He was a Cy Young caliber pitcher when he was available and pitching this this season. And still, the Braves had a bottom five rotation in baseball in pretty much any metric you look at. That's really hard to do, Eric. And it's like, it's worse than you think it is. I mean, we, we, we've all yeah, said it, it, it and was, it's actually it worse. 
Yeah, it's actually worse because I think that they're the worst rotation in baseball if Ian Anderson doesn't debut this season. Well, yeah, Anderson comes in and throws six starts at, with, a, with a sub two ERA, and basically yep. everyone except for Freed, Anderson, and Mike Soroka before he got injured was terrible. Like every single other. I mean, I guess Bryce Wilson late had a couple good starts. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, but, but again, these ERAs. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read some ERAs to you. I'm not, even, I'm not even gonna sign. Uh, names to them right now. But these are in order of innings pitched as well. 5.21, Those are all starting pitchers for the Braves this season. And those are their ERAs. Yep. <laughs> I had to I had to do some of the player reviews on some of those numbers and again I won't that does narrow things down if you're trying to figure out exactly who we're talking about. But, I mean, those guys, like, threw real innings. You know what I mean? It well, wasn't yeah, like the, a, the guys who, I mean, it, and I know really it's, this is a weird season, of course, because of all the shortened nature of everything. But So real innings this year are not real innings in the grand scheme. But the Braves had 10 different guys throw at least three starts this season. And, again, three starts doesn't seem like much, but in a 60-game season, three starts is 5% of the season. So. Yeah. Um, all right, let's just go. I, 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 well, well, no, I, what I wanted to say was, I, I know it's kind of funny. Like, you know, when we look at these ERA and these other peripherals that were just, you know, egregiously bad. But I think one of the things, I mean, the thing that saved the Braves the most was that they actually didn't get a lot of innings out of their starters because that meant that they got to go to their bullpen. Yeah, which was the bullpen incredibly was good. ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's sort of a bridge from last week's podcast when Scott and I talked about the bullpen, but the bullpen being so good, in addition to the lineup, of course, um, but just save them in so many different ways because, you know, okay, let's forget about, you know, Kyle Wright was not a great season. Kyle Wright was second on the team in innings and threw five point at a 5.21 ERA. You know, that's not ideal. And it, 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 and it honestly felt a little worse than that at times. It did. He, like, he, he, got, he got better late um, to save the ERA a little bit, but I agree. But like basically pitchers four through 10, these guys all had at least three starts. Josh Tomlin, Tuki Toussaint, Robbie Erlin, Sean Newcomb, Huascar Inoa was not good as a starter at all, and then Tommy Malone, who they acquired and just blew up immediately. Like, those guys all threw three-plus starts this season and were just objectionably terrible. Like, it's not like... There's no nuance here about these guys. There was not, like, luck. They were just they were just terrible when they started. And I don't want to pile on because coming into the year... Not a single one of those guys, other than maybe Tomlin, maybe Tukey, I guess, was supposed to be in the rotation. I guess Newcomb was, for some reason, there. But, you know, Robbie Irwin, whatever, we've made fun of him enough. Uh, Enoa was good as a reliever, but not as good as a starter. Tommy Malone was just like a, a, they were trying to patch a hole. But it really was truly awful. And for a review standpoint, we normally would go through, like, pitcher by pitcher. We're not going to go through Josh Tomlin and Robbie Irwin and... Tommy Malone, like that doesn't make any sense for us to do. Yeah, no, they're yeah, they're bad. I mean, like you know, hat. Look, Ian Anderson debuting. He was been he's a, he was a revelation from when he re, when he debuted. You know, the Braves don't make it as far as they did in the playoffs without him just going completely nuts. You know, he he was great. Max Freed, I think he should have gotten more Cy Young love than he did. He just didn't pitch um, enough, honestly. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think until he got until he got hurt, he was right there, and like probably would have finished like top five, and then he only threw eleven starts. 
and honestly, yeah. he was incredible. So I mean, no, that's not that's no shade at Max Free. I'm with you 100. Like on a on a per start basis, he was really, really, really good. And I think that because we're reviewing, I will say that I think you can't bank on him having a low two ZRA every season. But no, he's good. He's de- but he's definitely yeah. He's and he's definitely the guy that like if you're gonna like have see an absolutely dominant start out of it out of one of your guys. Oh, like, when he's when he's right, he stuff. is. He's yeah. Lighting. Yeah, uh, he certainly looked better earlier in the season than he did later in the season too. I will say that. I think. Well, there is a little you know, bit of concern. Actually, I was going to ask you this about Freed. There's a little bit of concern about like wear and tear with him, and they don't seem to love to like keep him on schedule for very long. They don't. They don't like to push him a whole lot. He's usually better when he has more rest. Does any of that stuff worry you in like a regular season when the season's longer and he might have you know he might be asked to start thirty plus times? Well, well, uh, he he had issues in the minor leagues too, like with like minor, like you know, like minor back stuff. Uh, blisters were a big one. Um, do I see a problem? I think that managing young guys' innings with like spot starts here and there is probably just the smart thing to do anyway. Um, and so it does it doesn't really bother me necessarily, but you know, at the same time, you know, a guy that has like a real injury history, you know, he has had Tommy John. Uh, combined with, like, you don't necessarily want to see a guy getting hurt over and over again. I mean, and he, he had this problem last year, too. He had, like, a groin thing, and then, you know, he had blister problems, and, you know, little minor ish, minor injuries that are just constantly cropping up. You don't really want to see out of a guy that you really want to get big-time performance out of. But I think that he's still kind of, like, you know, figuring out kind of how to get to get through these big, these long seasons and, like, and keep himself healthy. Uh, again, not the greatest situation to kind of be put in this year when your kind of your off-season routine and all of that kind of gets thrown out of whack in terms of getting ready for the season, getting stretched out properly, et cetera, et cetera. He was kind of pressed into duty as like, you know, hey, we need to get every every start. You need to go six or seven innings and like shut the other team out because otherwise our bullpen is not going to survive the sixty-game season. Yeah, he was um, huge with that. I mean, honestly, yeah. the fact that he was able to basically be an automatic win every every time he pitched the season was you can't overstate how important that was for a team that was so battered in the rotation. Like some of that's like anecdotal, but the fact that they essentially just won every start when he <laughs> when he pitched all year, uh, you know, what else can you ask for? Frankly, he was awesome. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, in terms of wear and tear side, like, this, but this is this is an ongoing thing with Freed. I mean, not just the not just the Tommy John, which you know, again. The, the the recovery rate seems to be pretty good and like it's not like he can't throw hard and it's not like he's like lost his stuff right it's just that you know he th- like when he was in Mississippi he had kind of a little nagging he always had some little nagging thing here and there he'd miss a start or he wouldn't throw his long he wouldn't throw as long in a given start etc cetera, etc cetera. but the stuff's too good um, and I, I think that a lot of that stuff's kind of manageable and I don't think that necessarily with especially with a guy who uh, is kind of earlier in his career that managing innings is like far from the worst in the world. Um, you know, the every, you know, on the every fifth day type guys, you know, that you just when in doubt you can just run them out there no matter what are important to have in your rotation. But there's also guys that, hey, if we look, we just like we spot start a guy here and there. It just makes the whole situation better for everyone involved. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Either. Yeah, he's a high upside guy when he has it. He's great. Etc. And obviously, you can rely on him to be one of your top two guys. Um, let's take a second and talk about Mike Soroka, um, your favorite player in baseball. Yeah, uh, he made three starts yes. this year. He was not as good as he had been previously, but he was totally fine. It was three starts. Who cares? But obviously, the injury is the thing. Um, there is a lot of people that I have seen or heard from that are just kind of 
running him in in pen for opening day. And I am a little wary of that. Uh, I know Achilles is not like a death sentence, like the way that it is in basketball or football, but it's not exactly a lock in my brain that he is just him, his normal self on opening day in 2021. Am I wrong? Or is that an actual concern of any length for you? Well, I think that anyone who is not a doctor who is a, like trying to show any amount of expertise on what an Achilles injury does, particularly in a plant foot for a pitcher, uh, in baseball is, you know, a snake oil salesman at best. Um, you know, look, by all indications, he is on track to be, you know, very close to ready to go and throwing normally in spring training, right? But we just don't know. Um, and you just, you know, with setbacks with something like that, like, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, if his heel starts inflaming or, you know, like there's an infection or, I mean, like, there's a hundred things that could go wrong in these types of, like, severe injuries. Um, you know, things are really tightening up. My primary concern is that two of the last three seasons, he's thrown minimal innings. Yep. And if that's the case, then you just need to be really careful about how you stretch him back out. And it's made particularly difficult because you don't have like a minor league situation where he can kind of get stretched out that way. Um, do I have the utmost confidence in terms of like doing everything that you're supposed to do as a rehabbing, rehabbing from an injury, from nutrition to all of your, the workouts you're supposed to be doing to, you know, going to your doctor and doing basically everything that he's supposed to do. Mike's Roka, it's a, I have the highest confidence that that's happening because that's just who Mike is as a person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we can account for, you know, everything that can happen for a guy who just doesn't have, hasn't had the workload over the two of the last three years. Does that mean that he needs to get stretched out in the minors and like maybe he does a few starts down there to get fully stretched back out again? That might not be the worst idea. I mean, there is a, there is a thought process that's been out there that one of the reasons that, you know, the Achilles injury happened in the first place was because we had all of a sudden this really kind of rushed sort of spring slash summer, summer training situation and that's why, like, the guys like Marcus Stroman and other guys, why there were so many other injuries was because, you know, they weren't able to stretch out properly and go through the normal workouts, you know, to kind of – that would normally prevent these sorts of things. So do I think that he'll be ready for opening day? I would. I, I just refuse to bet, bet against Mike in that regard. But, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion, and I think that in terms of the decisions that the Braves make, they need to be kind of hedging against that because if you're betting on him just to be fully ready to go, I mean, this is a severe injury and you don't want to like rush him into a situation because you could really screw him up then. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's interesting. I think that we we're all guessing to some degree. My overall take would be, especially if next season is a full length season, but even, even if it's not, this is a guy who you're hoping is one of your cornerstones for a long time. And, if he needs to chill out a little bit and get stretched out and take his time, you, you need to do that. Um, that's, yeah, that's, if, he, if, if he debuts in May, that is perfectly that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, and that's kind of all I'll say. I mean, we don't, we're not experts on this. We don't, we don't know how this time is going to go. Nobody does, especially not people in the public realm. But, uh, yeah, I think he'll be good when he comes back. There's a reason to think he won't be. And um, whenever he arrives, he's one of your top two, um, along with Freed, of course. And then uh, I guess beyond that, Anderson, you mentioned before, but was obviously so, so good, um, both in regular season and in the playoffs. Um, I guess my, my natural question to you as someone who's seen him a lot more than I have in my life, uh, are you expecting him to just pick up where he left off? Is he going to just be like capital G good 
in his first full season? Or should he, you know, will regression eventually come in for a guy as young as he is who honestly wasn't that dominant in the minors, if you look at the numbers, which kind of makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit. But obviously, you know him more than I do, so I'm going to defer to you on this one. So this is the way you need to think about Ian Anderson's minor league career is that the command came and went early in his career, which makes evaluating the numbers really weird because some starts, it was like eight innings, 10 strikeouts, could not be hit. And then sometimes, you know, he'd walk a bunch of guys and it would be a lot dicier. Um, Even look at the the Gwinnett numbers were almost worthless to look at because he was holding a a, a baseball with physically different properties. So, like, I don't even look at the Gwinnett, the numbers that he had in Gwinnett with any amount of confidence one way or the other. Like, I just, I, I looked at them and he just wasn't very good. But when he was at Mississippi and, you know, kind of had kind of gotten through some shoulder issues that he had earlier in, in his career in Rome, you know, like, he was a guy that very easily could be dominant. What I never saw out of him in the minor leagues was a changeup that was as good as we saw this year. Uh, it was, he always had a decent one, don't get me wrong. But I mean that that pitch, particularly against lefties, for a young pitcher, is game changing because you know you you always worry about you know like okay well you know this is the part where you take him out because this lefty is really really tough, but he has that changeup. I mean we saw the swings that he got against it sometimes, you know it was, he was just wasn't touchable. Now the place that he could have regression is in his command because he was almost walking four batters per nine this year. Um, and again, there's some ups and downs to that, right? Like some starts, it was perfectly fine. Some, he walked a ton of guys, uh, and the Dodgers seemed like were willing to camp out on him and draw as many walks as humanly possible. Now they did that in every game in that series, and it was extraordinarily exhausting to listen, to watch, and um, probably worse to experience. But, you know, it's something to kind of monitor with him because if he, you know, see, if we see like a, a, a jump in his walk rate, that becomes a little more concerning, um, and it makes you wonder if maybe he's going to be getting the same number of swings that he was getting this year. But when you have that, when you're when he's commanding his fastball and that changeup is doing what he's doing, that sets up all of his other, you know, sets up his breaking ball. And I, I expect him to be good next year. Uh, will he like be like rookie of the year front runner type? I I want to see where the command is because that's the one thing that can kind of come and go with him. Yeah, that all makes sense. That all tra- that all tracks from what I've seen and heard. And obviously, again, I'll defer to you because you've seen him a lot more than I have. But I think he'll be good. Um, he's the one guy uh, of the young of the young young guys that I'm assuming, like in capital letters, will be in the rotation opening week. I think you probably. Oh, agree with he'll, that. yeah, he'll be there. Yeah, um, he would be the, he's the only and he's the only one. That's why I'm saying that he's the only one that I am absolutely writing in pen. Uh, which means that I'm not writing Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson in pen. Now, I think Wright is likely to be in the rotation based on what we saw late in the year, um, but he's had some hiccups along the way. He's not always been lights out. Wilson, I know, had, uh, had the great playoff uh, performance um, that was really impactful, and it actually was pretty good in regular season, but he's not a guy that I am writing in pen. Again, he could certainly be in a rotation early on. And to what we talked about earlier, they need some more arms. We saw this this year, and obviously it was a little bit more of a disaster than you might expect. But you, you just need more. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I'm about to say it was. It's hard to be worse than it was this year. It's yeah, just... I, and no one, no one's thinking that it's going to be as bad as that. But no one, no one goes into a season with five starting pitchers anymore. Um, especially when they're all young. Like you might want to have some more arms, and we we talked about that earlier. We can talk about it again now. But I mean, I guess is there any chance of anybody else other than those five guys? 
opening the season or at least close to opening the season as a starter that's already in the organization, like Tucker Davidson or any of those guys like close enough to actually be a real threat in spring or those guys that might come up later on? I think it would be, especially without like a bunch of minor league numbers to kind of go from like, you know, like overtaking a guy for a spot, you know, like, okay, this is this part where we, you know, we, he, he has won that, he has won that job. Um, I think it'd be kind of over, overtake those five guys. Uh, I think that Tucker needs some more time. I think that I need to see Kyle Muller before I can maybe make an inter- determination uh, in some games. And I think that in Muller's case, I think the Braves tend to agree with that, and they want to kind of see where he is next year. Um, those are like the two. The, those are kind of the two giving guys. Uh, Jesse De La Cruz is another guy. Uh, they he was kind of hanging around in <laughs> on the roster. Uh, for more as a need, as a just in case we we need to go to you in an emergency situation, you're around and you were already on the 40 man roster type thing. Uh, but he's another guy that I think that just needs more time in the minors, just to kind of get a sample size as kind of how he's performing in games and what his stuff looks like. But you know, in terms of like what happens day one, who's really in the organization that can be competing for an opening day spot? Uh, those are the five. And you know, again, like you said with Wright and Wilson, you know. I think that bringing in some some guys to compete for those spots, you could do a lot worse for yourself than than doing that because, you know, I just I just don't you know in Bryce's case I don't think he's gotten much of a fair shot and you know he was losing the starts to Erlin and Malone and guys like that <laughs> which frankly tilts the crap out of me. All of but, us, you know, and it, yeah, and in Wright's case, he's, you know, sometimes he's been, he's been up and down. And I mean, sometimes... that, it's, just, it's just flat out and what it's, it is. It's, like he's been really good and really bad at times. Which is okay. And he's still I, young. Yeah, and he, he's you know it's you know you would wish you could kind of get a little more consistency as to kind of what he's going to be as a player on a game to game basis from a guy that you got, grabbed out of a really good co- college college program, but you know that's just not what's happened. So I, I don't we'll have see. a great answer there, but I think I think <laughs> that you know bringing uh, bringing in a couple guys like Wainwright or Lester or you know guys like that just to kind of compete for spots. I think that's what they should do. Um, I did have a couple people tweeting at me saying if there's any chance for a, a faulty reunion, uh, I think that that is never going to happen. Well, he's, uh, and... by the way, uh, in case people don't know this, he's officially a free agent. Um, yep. So he's not in the organization at this moment in time, which is why we didn't bring him up so far. But I, I, it, was, it was on my agenda to at least say that out loud, that he is not a consideration at this moment because he's not on the team. Um, not And not like uh, in the minors, he's a free agent. So... We will see, but I, I'm with you. I'd be pretty surprised if he was back. Um, I, that, pretty surprised. That, that's all. I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty surprised. Not, I, no, that, yeah. It's not gonna happen. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. I, I am willing to place money on bets as to whether or not that happens. I would also bet um, against cool. it as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah faulty. So. Not, not, not a thing. Uh, and Sean Newcomb, of course, is still around. Uh, sure, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I put him in the bullpen. I've said that a hundred times. So we'll see how they do that. Um, uh, put him in the bullpen or, you know, speaking of guys that might get non-tendered. Yeah. He's on the list. Uh, especially if he's going to, and I, Scott and I talked about this last week, so I don't want to do it a whole, the whole thing again, but if he's not willing to be a reliever, then just non-tender him. That's where I am on that. No, um, that's, that's, that seems like where you want to be there. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, and, you know, we, we could do an hour on free agent options. I will just say the names of guys who are free agents, knowing this is not a Braves target list. Cause we don't know what they're, budget is we don't know what their tolerance is all that stuff trevor bauer is the number one guy then you have guys like marcus stroman masahiro tanaka charlie morton 
James Paxton, Jake Odorizzi, Corey Kluber. Um, those guys are all in line to get some real money, I would imagine. You have old friend Mike Miner. We talked about John Lester earlier. Uh, Mike Leake is available as a very uninspiring but yet potentially solid option. Jose Quintana, Chris Archer, who kind of flamed out in his last stop. Uh, Jay Happ. I don't know, Jake Arrieta. All these guys are just veterans. They're out there. And uh, I'm, again, on the record, that's my final thought on this, and I'll, I'll have yours as well. I, the Braves need to sign or acquire some starting pitching. I, I know that people are optimistic about their young guys and with good reason, but I think they need to get two arms. Um, they don't have to be two high-priced arms, but they need to get two guys, I think, that can credibly start Major League Baseball games in April that are not currently in the organization. That's where I would be with it. At least one. I mean, one is not negotiable for me. It would be uh, really, really bothersome in my view if they open the season with only what they have right now. So one is a definite need. I think they need to get to maybe even more. Um, how do you feel about next year? I mean, you can throw out names if you want to. You don't have to do that. But just looking ahead to 2021 rotation-wise, obviously it projects to be better than it was this year just by having Soroka back and the guys, the young guys being older, all that stuff. But what's the next step? What, what do they need to do in your mind for next year? So I tend to agree. Uh, having a couple arms would be good. Um, realistically, I think that that is what will end up happening. There's like two veteran arms. I mean, it's what they did last year. I mean, they, they, they signed and they, they brought King Felix and Cole Hamels into the, into the rotation uh, with, I think, differing levels of expectations, obviously. But, you know, those are two outside the organization guys that they brought in uh, during for spring to see if they were going to get and see if they were going to be able to compete for jobs. In Hamill's case, he was absolutely going to get a job. But he just couldn't stay healthy. Uh, and in Felix's case, he looked like he was going to win a job. And then COVID happened. Uh, and then he decided to opt out. So I think that that's kind of I think the Braves kind of understand, too, that having, you know, making sure they're going out and getting veteran arms is, you know, given where they are as a team right now, which isn't appreciably different than what they were at opening uh, in the spring last year, that I think that they're going to make those moves. Now, me personally, and this is Eric, and I don't, this isn't something that I think the Braves are going to do at all. I think that when you have a situation like there is right now, and there's very clearly a market inefficiency where there's mu not much money is being given out, and there's already talk about how bad this free agency period is going to be, how bad the contracts are going to be, how slow things are going to be. You have an opportunity to go get guys that you would normally would have to pay significantly more money for. And if you can do that, it makes you more likely to win a World Series. You should do that, uh, particularly when you are owned by Liberty <laughs> Media, who like has – like if they, if they wanted to, they could put a bunch of money into the, the, the roster – and yeah. it, like they they would just be a write off for them. They wouldn't it wouldn't be a thing. Now I don't think that's gonna happen. Right. I just do I do not think that will happen. But like the, if there if this is the offseason you want to try to like make a splash and like sign Trevor Bauer to a deal or something like that, like this is the offseason to do it because I think you're gonna get your best prices here. Yeah. Now, there could be some value. I'm with you though. I mean there isn't a whole lot of indication that a corporation like that is gonna do that. Um and Oh, but I, I completely agree. I totally agree with your point, though, that if you're going to spend, it'd be a good time to do that because it's kind of like you're zigging when the rest of the league is zagging um, because people are going to try to cut money. We talked about it last week. Like the, the Frazier market's going to be kind of depressed. And if you wanted to come in and spend a little bit, you might be able to pick off some talent. Um, the Mets might do that with their new billionaire owner. That's been rumored that they yep. might come in and just throw money around. That'd be kind of wise, I think. Um, and hopefully that won't happen because we don't like the Mets. But um, 
the Braves could do that. I don't think they're probably going to, but hopefully, I think if you're a Braves fan, realistically, you're hoping that Liberty is going to allow Anthopolis to operate like this is kind of a normal offseason because that would be a an advantage over the rest of the league. That, that, yeah, absolutely. That, because then Marcelo Zuna would stay as a Brave. <laughs> you know you would mean? assume so. But yeah, I, it's, it's one of those things where they have to prioritize their, you know, everyone knows what the holes are on the roster. If you, if you, if you remove the free agents from the roster, you need another bat, either in left field or DH, however that, however that plays out. You need a starter. Um, you need a couple more relievers, especially because Melanson and Green are free, are free agents. So is O'Day, et cetera. So like we know, we know where the spots are. Um, they could also go, you know, high end on a couple of different things. Like, you know, Chris Bryant's been out there for third base, et cetera. Regardless, they, this is a good team, a good core. That's not going to change, but what they do is going to impact things. Like we, I, I think regardless, especially if that, if they have expanded playoffs, I can't imagine a scenario where we're not picking them to make the playoffs next year. Um, even if they don't do anything, but in a normal scenario, they're going to need to do some stuff to make sure they are still the favorite to win the NL East. Like this is not, it's not a no brainer, but yes, the core is really talented. They're going to be pretty good either way, but there are holes that they're going to have to fill if you assume the free agents leave or or the, 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 they're not on the roster right now. Like, it's not a perfect roster if you assume the guys who are not under contract are not there. Yeah, and, you know, I I, I think the Braves are aware of those things too. Um, For sure. I, I have to hope that they aren't, like, I, the, the one worry I have, and I think this is for a lot of teams too, is that they're going to be so risk-averse to any amount of financial investment and, like, this could cause, like, another you know kerfuffle with the players association that oh, yeah. you know there's there's just like the amount of money that anyone's willing to give out is going to be so minimal that you know it's going to cause that, that like that that's the that's my primary worry it's not like individual names it's just like you know the environment is so oh. toxic and we can also see the fact happens. that you know Anthopolis has gotten heat from some corners for not giving out long-term deals and the only one he's ever given out of real money is will smith so even yeah. before yeah. this, yeah, to a to a, to a reliever with with a qualifying offer, and that's what I mean. Yeah. Like even before this pandemic and all the fallout there, this is not a front office that's given out a lot of long term money. I mean, they've spent on they've spent a lot of money on one year deals, Donaldson, Ozuna, Hamels. So they can't be they can't be accused of not spending at all. But it's not been this, the long term splash investments. And then you throw in Freeman and the extension, and all that stuff, which we'll talk about later if we need to. But it's um. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty across baseball. It is not only a Braves problem. We should stress that. I think we are. I think we have appropriately stressed that. But sure, do it, seeing what they do and how they handle it will be interesting because this is a corporation. This is not an owner. That's a person or even a family that can just decide to you know overwrite the losses and just like you know we'll make it up later. Corporations don't usually operate that way. Maybe they will in this case. But there was a report out there that the, that, the, that Liberty, you know, lost or had revenue $100 million down from year to year and for the Braves and the battery, all that stuff. You know, make what you want about that. They have the money. If they wanted to spend it, they, they have it. But it's a corporation, and we'll see what they do. Yeah, and I I, I tend to agree with you, though, is I just don't – I don't think that they're going to act appreciably different than – what we are going to see a lot of other teams do. I don't think that they're going to, you know, try to like work in that market inefficiency sort of way and, you know, kind of take advantage of the situation. I think it's it's far more likely that, you know, they're just going to look at the spreadsheet and be like, okay, well, numbers are down. So spending is going down. 
And that's going to be pretty disappointing. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, I'll just say this. The rotation is a pretty safe bet to be better in 21 than it was in 20. <laughs> if, if it's not, like, that, that's an all-time problem. Uh, yeah, I, I will say this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Broadly speaking, this is, might be seen as negative, but it's not. Um, you cannot assume, if you are the Braves or Braves fans, that the bullpen and, and the lineup will be as good as they were in 2020. <laughs> they're no. capable They're capable of that. I'll say that. The Braves are capable of doing that again. But as an assumption, as a projection, no one can tell me that they would project the Braves to be as good in the bullpen and in the lineup as they were in 2020. So those gains are going to, well, I guess those losses for 2021 have to be made up somewhere. And the place to do that is with the uh, bottom five rotation that shouldn't be a bottom five rotation next year. So that's the formula folks rotation better. Everyone has to assume that uh, even with honestly, Eric, even if they didn't sign anyone, which we would be very mad about, at least I would be, They'd still be better, probably, than they yeah. were last year. Yeah, I mean, like because, just because of how bad they were. Yeah, absolutely. and, Soro- and I mean, Soroka like, back, and the Soroka young guys are a year older. Soroka and... will be back for some amount of time. Yeah. You'll have Ian Anderson for the whole year. Yeah. I so you're looking at a baseline that's higher anyway. That's a good sign. And uh, to wrap things up on a positive note, uh, I'm I'm encouraged. I think it'll be interesting. It'll be fun, and at the very least, we will not have to hopefully watch extended Robbie Earl and Tommy Malone innings in 21. So. That's a win for all of us, Eric. Uh, Eric, please plug anything you have going on. We've talked for uh, quite a bit of time, as we often do on this podcast, but I know we're in off-season mode. Uh, if you have anything going, please share it with people, and, if, and we might have a new listener or two, so tell them where they can find all of your stuff. Sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. I have been tweeting far more, far less frequently uh, in the last week or two, uh, just kind of enjoying a little bit of time unplugged away from social media, which can frankly be one of the worst places on planet Earth, particularly when there's an election going on. Um, but, you know, and in terms of my work, you can obviously listen to me here. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the feed. We're using, you know, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher, um, you know, make sure you're leaving reviews. You know, we love five-star reviews. It helps us out and helps us spread the podcast a lot. But in terms of the written work, you'll see me at talkingchop.com. Right now we're working on player reviews. We're kind of, I think we're all the way worked through all the arbitration eligible guys and now we're kind of into the guys who aren't arbitration eligible uh and or are just like the normal kind of veteran contracts and things like that so uh if they have appeared on the braves roster in one form or another there is going to be a review written about them i have already written several i am sure to write several more um and those are going coming out like every day there's gonna be two or three of those that pop up so that's kind of the big project and in the next couple of weeks assuming all goes according to plan before thanksgiving there will be a new episode of The Road to Atlanta to talk about kind of the guys who have debuted this season and kind of what we're thinking about for 2021 as well. There hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, reputable sources of minor league information to kind of for us to go from, but uh, we've gotten a couple nuggets here and there, and we're frankly just itching to talk about some minor league baseball, so keep an ear out for that too. Yeah, that'll be on the same feed, so if you are subscribed to this, you also get Road to Atlanta for the, for the low, low price of $0. So that's coming. Please subscribe. Yeah. Please tell a friend. 
um, or two friends or enemies or family members or whatever you want to do. Uh, thank you for all the support, as we've said multiple times in this uh, in the last month plus. But we're in off-season mode. We'll still be here once a week, maybe more than once a week sometimes. Uh, if we do get any free agent news, we will do our best to jump into action with some uh, quick reactions. At this point in time, it's still pretty dead. But knowing our luck, it could be my Monday morning that the Braves sign someone. So stay tuned. Subscribe. Follow Eric. Follow me if you want to. Follow the site at Talking Chop. We'll see you next time. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.